This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you for being here, everyone. It's so great to see all of you. I'm Thomas, and I'm a developer. And today is the day I've been waiting for for the last eight months. Today, what we will do on the stage, how we will build, what we will launch, it will redefine the essence of software development itself. This is a moment long in the making. Now, if you recall, it was just a few weeks after GitHub Universe last year when AI had its Big Bang moment. ChatGPT exploded onto the scene. It washed over the airwaves. It was the most consequential disruption to technology since the advent of the internet browser. Our global consciousness has not been the same since. That was Thomas Domke, chief executive of GitHub, one of the world's most popular open source platforms for software developers or coders. Thomas was speaking at GitHub Universe. It is an annual gathering of people, mostly in jeans, in San Francisco. Most of the 2,100 delegates here are coders, people who write weird-looking lines that tell computers what to do. And they are here to soak in the excitement over one of the biggest earth-shifting innovations that will change the way they work. That innovation, as you might have already experienced, is generative AI, or Gen AI. What makes Gen AI special? Here is what Satya Nadella, who made a surprise appearance next to Thomas, has to say. Satya is the chief executive of Microsoft, which owns GitHub. Because if I look at the arc of computing, our history of the last 70 years has been, can humans and computers interact in the most natural way? What's more powerful uh, than natural language? Uh, which, by the way, starts with language, goes multimodal, and so there's a lot uh, to be said about sort of that thing that you just mentioned, which is natural language as the programming language. Just the approachability uh, to be able to say, wow, you can express some complex thought and start seeing code, and you're going to get into coding. That is game-changing to me, right? Because natural language is about accessibility. Yeah. It's about making the barrier to entry lower, and it's going to be stunning to me. So the promise of Gen AI is not only that it helps developers write code faster and better, naturally unravels the mystery of code for people who don't speak computer language, like me, or almost everybody else in Singapore, except the estimated 200,000 software developers here, which means soon we can all code. So imagine telling Copilot, make me a game for my 80-year-old mother. And voila, it does. Of course, I need to tell it more, like if the game should involve tossing pancakes or catching grandchildren, and so on. By this time next year, I might not even have to type what I want. I just have to say it. Because GitHub Copilot might already recognize voice commands and in different languages. What does that mean for software developers? I asked Ethan Ang, CEO of Noteflare, a tech career super app in Singapore. Ethan is also a software developer. I think software engineering is a very unique space. I think a lot of people think that you know, writing code is really just like writing content. But it's not, right? Because actually, there's a lot of that, that creative, you know, even sometimes they call it art when you are writing code. Because there are millions of ways to write a code to get something to work. So, you know, many years ago when the era where there's many internet things started, a ton of those software engineers, so to speak, they spent a lot of time building like the physical servers. 
that literally sits in their office. But now software engineers don't have to deal with that anymore, right? So most of the time is spent on building stuff. And traditionally, you throw people at a problem to, to solve those things, right? Now you have an AI to, to help you. So now your, your kind of like job, or, or rather the headcount requirement shrinks. But the same problem is still being solved, right? And I think that in the future, what might happen is that software engineering is always about problem solving. If coders are problem solvers, and AI is going to help them do so, I want to examine if it would help one of the world's biggest challenges, this ability. It is estimated that more than 110,000 Singaporeans have some form of disability. That's approximately 3% of the citizens living here. That number goes up to 13.3% for Singaporeans aged over 50. The government is targeting to have 40% of disabled residents here in employment by 2030. Up from 31% today, that's 10,000 more persons with disabilities in the workforce. To find out more about the challenges and how Gen AI might help, I turn to someone who is leading the charge at GitHub, Ed Summers. Ed, thanks for coming to the program, and it's such a pleasure to have you. And so for our listeners, would you give us an introduction about yourself? Thank you for the opportunity. I'm a blind developer, and I'm also head of accessibility at GitHub. How did you start coding? I started coding uh, when I was a sophomore in college. I took an introduction to uh, computer science class, which included uh, programming in an old language called Fortran. <laughs> and uh, I found it to be just really engaging and fun and, and frankly, pretty easy. Um, it just came really natural to me. And the professor in that class uh, recruited me into the computer science program and, and helped me find an internship. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. I, I graduated with degrees in computer science and math, and I've been in this field of technology ever since. What was your first time coding like? Oh, my first code was probably some kind of assignment uh, in my Fortran class. <laughs> What did you code? Oh, I have no idea. It was probably some really boring assignment. Um, but pretty soon after that, I graduated to um, you know programming little games. And part of the culture in the School of Computer Science where I was is we created little little programs to play tricks on each other because back at that time we could we could basically grab access to each other's screens and we could make things appear on each other's screens. So it was really fun to kind of bomb each other with all kinds of completely inappropriate um, stuff uh, at inappropriate times. Can you give me an example of an inappropriate stuff? Oh, you know, just make your screen fall apart into little pieces, you know, or, or you know, a, a, a silly little character, you know, with lots of, lots of annoying beeps. <laughs> How many years have you been working? And could you tell us a little bit about your whole career? So let's see. I started coding in 1990 when I was in college. In 1992, I got an internship where I was, you know, writing code uh, for the United States Army Corps of Engineers, and uh, and then moved on after graduation. Moved on to you know the the private sector, working for different companies. And uh, you know, back in those times, oddly enough, I was working on what we call source management tools um, and compilers, compiler tools. This is way back in the 1990s. And then I went off and worked on different things um, from there. But I kind of came back to my 
source management roots when I joined GitHub last year. When did you lose your sight? I was diagnosed with the degenerative retinal disease when I was 10 years old. And that, um, it was very, very, very minor vision loss at first. And it started to accelerate when I was in my 20s. And by the time I was about 30, I crossed this threshold where my functional vision decreased to the point where I just started considering myself as blind. Even though I still had a little bit of vision, um, it was more of a kind of a functional and mental shift from being a sighted person with low vision. And after around that time, when I was 30, I started thinking about myself as a blind person with a little bit of vision, you know, and it was a 180 degree shift when you start to look at it as a blind person with a little bit of vision, which is kind of considered, I started to consider that little vision to be, to be a gift, you know, whereas looking at it in the other perspective, thinking of myself as a sighted person with a little bit of vision left was kind of a very kind of negative, depressing way to look at it. You know, 30 is when a lot of us would consider the prime years of our life. Mentally, emotionally, how did you cope with that? What did you do? Well, I think I did it in the worst way possible. When I lost my vision, I, yeah, I, I fought it and I ignored it and I hid it <laughs> until I just couldn't hide it anymore. Um, and the better way to do it would have been to be proactive and um and face it straight on. But it's, you know, as you said, it's a really tough transition to make. But at some point, it was either sink or swim, really, when it came down to it. If I wanted to continue to just contribute or even function, I, I had to come to terms with being blind. And when I finally made the decision to deal with it, you know, I've kind of threw myself into it 100%. And over a period of a year or two, met a bunch of people who were blind and incredibly productive, amazing people who were very kind and you know helped me adapt to being blind. And also some really great friends and family members who helped me cross that boundary. And the funny thing is, is that once I ad adopted, embraced you know the new circumstances and learned the tools. And put my mind to it, I, within a few years, became more productive and frankly happier. And, you know, just, it's just, a, I would say in almost every respect, an upward trajectory, whereas been, you know, before that, it had been many years of decline, you know, declining vision and kind of declining prospects and hope, you know, for the future. So when it comes to disability, I think the way that we think about it, not only people with disabilities, but the way that people think about people with disabilities uh, it just makes all the difference because um, with the right tools and the right technologies, uh, a great many things are possible. You know, and there's so many things I do now that I'm I'm more productive at now than I ever was when I had vision. Like what? One is reading. So I read, I primarily read with my ear. Uh, I read at a rate that's about 600 words per minute. Maybe, you know, depending on the, the, the material, 600 words per minute for normal prose, it, when it's something like code or scientific materials or mathematical equations, I have to slow that down quite a bit. But you know, the, the average adult probably reads at around 300 or 330 words a minute somewhere. You know, I would say the average college graduate reads at about that rate. So, you know, being able to consume material without fatigue twice as fast as everybody else, that's a, that's a huge benefit. And there was no way I was always a really slow reader when I was using my vision. Even when I had good vision, I was still a slow reader. So that's one thing. I think the second thing is when I was coding as a living, you know, when I was working as an engineer day in, day out, 
and it's been several years since I've done that because I've just moved on to management roles and things like that. But because of my vision loss, I began to essentially memorize the entire code base. And in order to do things like design new features and or debug problems within the code, I, I didn't need to look at the code. I could be doing anything, you know, riding down the road with my family or taking a walk or just relaxing on the couch. And I could just think about the code base because as a blind developer, for some reason, I just really created, I really developed this ability to memorize code. And you know, that's a skill that, that I'd never had before then. Do you think your background as a software developer helped you bounce back? Would it have been different if you were doing something else, if your background was of something else? That's a good question. I think that because of my technical background, I immediately dug into the tech, you know, the, the, the tech that could help me uh, be productive. And it was easy for me to to learn and experiment and adapt, you know, just, just kind of dive into that. Whereas I think people who are not as comfortable with technology may not be able to do that. You know, like there's a certain mindset that we have as computer geeks, you know, and, and developers, and, and that consists of a lot of tinkering and iteration and failing and breaking things. And we're generally not afraid to do that. Yeah, that, that experimental mindset, uh, I think, served me, served me very well. Your primary purpose is really to make coding more accessible for people with disabilities, and I guess of diversity as well. How has generative AI made a difference to your purpose or your area of work? One of the most interesting things about using generative AI as a developer is that it is that it really does lower the barriers to software development. Because if you can express what you want, then GitHub Copilot can suggest code that works for you. So, you know, that really helps you climb the learning curve a lot faster. Either A, as a new developer, or B, a developer who maybe just works on code occasionally, you know, and doesn't do it full time. Because it is one of those things where when you do it every day, day in, day out, then you get really skilled at the art. But when you only do it like for a few hours a week or maybe a few days a month, then, you know, you, you kind of, you're in this constant state of being a little bit rusty. The other thing that I think is very interesting is that GitHub Copilot as, as a, as an AI pair programmer instead of a human pair programmer can really help remove some of the social anxiety around asking questions. You know, I think I think we all have a certain amount of you know self doubt or self uh, what would you call it of self consciousness about our ignorance. But you know technology moves so fast; um, it's 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 impossible to know everything. And being able to just bring up GitHub Copilot chat and ask questions without judgment, I find it incredibly helpful. I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, feeling self-conscious about things that I think I should know. How impactful are these changes? I think we're just starting to see the potential impacts. You know, I think we have over 1 million developers now that are using GitHub Copilot. Our, our research is showing that there's a significant increase in productivity for people that are using this literally brand new technology. It's, you know, it's a couple of years old. And I think as, as we, as, as this technology also you know, lowers the barrier to coding, I think it's possible that we could enter a, just a, a golden age of innovation in the technology field that can help us solve all kinds of problems. I mean, from climate change to faster drug development to more realistic games. I mean, you name it. I mean, like if, whatever you want to do, if you can do it twice as fast, then yeah, just it creates more opportunities for 
human flourishing, you know? So I'm really excited to see how this shapes up over the last couple, uh, over the next couple or three years, you know, as, as this technology becomes more widely adopted. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Well, I have two children. My wife and I have two beautiful children. One of them is a freshman in college and one of them is a senior in high school. So over the next four or five years, I am helping these kiddos get through college. <laughs> and after that, um, we'll see. We'll see. I've been doing some kind of higher level management work for about the last 10 years or so. At some point in the future, I'm, I'm interested to get back to hands-on work, you know, building and creating things because that's that's really fun. And, uh, you know, I spend a lot of my days now in Slack and in meetings, and I don't spend very much time coding these days. I would like to get back to that hands-on work at some point in the future. So maybe maybe five or six or seven years from now, you know, I'll, some of these uh, financial responsibilities will be off of my shoulders and I can uh, spend a little more time in the open source community. Anything to add? No, but thank you so much for hosting me here on your podcast. It's delightful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Work Talk, a Straits Times podcast to help you think deeper, work smarter, and get ahead in your work life. I'm Chris Bu. Our producer is Tio Tongkai, and the production crew is led by Ernest Lewis. If you'd like to read more about GitHub Universe, we have links to the stories in our show notes. There's also a column written about my interview with Ed. I'd like to leave you with this story from GitHub CEO Thomas Donkey. It's about his first encounter with code and what he went on to do with it. So I, the first, the very first time, uh, because I was born in East Germany, when Germany was still divided into two countries, uh, East and West Germany, uh, or socialist and capitalist Germany, we had a computer in the geography lab. And so my friend and I were hacking and, and basic uh, on that computer. And then when the wall fell in uh, 1990 uh, or 1989, and then 1990, the country united, I, I got a Commodore 64 uh, in 1991. And I taught myself coding by buying magazines, buying books uh, and getting books from the library and, uh, and going to computer club every Wednesday because there was no internet, right? I remember building like little applications to store my address book. My first real software that I sold was actually insurance software. So I have an older uh, half-brother and I, uh, at the time, the insurance agents uh, uh, of the insurance company he worked for didn't have software. They just got stacks of paper every three months with all the, with all the numbers in it. And so we ran them through a scanner and, and detected all the numbers and then built software around this that we sold to the insurance agents of that same company on, on three and a half floppy inch disks. So that was my first real software that I that I sold and, and, and the business later went away when, when the insurance companies had figured out that they need to provide software to the agents themselves. The thing I like most about coding is that it's, it's about the way I can express myself. And with open source and the internet, I can use other people's work to accelerate my own progress and by including a library or by, you know, building on top of a framework that already exists out there. And so it is really, for me, a form of art, a form of expressing myself, um, a form of building something that I'm proud of and that I enjoy. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.